is Freddie Williams. This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Mildred DeFilippis. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandal. Hi, this is Libra Mayo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fertaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 119.5. I'm your host, Sussan, and today joining me is... This is Ed. And we are bringing you the second-tier books from the Batman Universe from the month of June, as well as this, really, there's no news, but we have one thing we're going to discuss slightly from the month of June as well. So let's get straight into comic news. As far as comic news, the only thing that's really happened in the month of June that really has anything to do with any of these books is the fact that DC finally announced Villains Month for September. Now, we talked about this on the last episode as we were predicting that this was going to happen regardless, and it is, in fact, happening. Uh, we discussed this at length on the previous comic cast, as well as there's actually an aftercast that released talking about it as well. But the news relating to the books that we cover here, the second tier books, is the fact that there is not going to be any books for Villains Month related to any of the titles that we cover except for Teen Titans. All of the other books will not be publishing in September. So, thoughts on that? I really don't get it, to be honest with you. I mean, in, in a lot of them, the villains aren't exclusively Batman villains that they're publishing. And, you, and you know, there's four issues of Batman and four issues of Detective. I don't know why you couldn't have just done one of them under the Red Hood or, or Birds of Prey or, or something like that. I mean, I guess it's nice because we'll get a break from some of these pedantic books we, we have to read, but I totally don't understand what they're doing over there. I, I, do, we need, do we need four Batmans, four detectives, four The Dark Knights? I mean, it just, I don't know. seems like overkill to me. Yeah, there's, there's actually going to be a total of 16 different Bat books that will fall under the stuff that we would normally be covering. You already mentioned Batman Detective and Dark Knight, but there's actually going to be four of Batman and Robin as well. And what's interesting about this is the fact that, you know, you would think that these villains, I mean, specifically some of the villains we cover here, Birds of Prey, Catwoman, even Batwoman and Batwing to a degree and Red Hood, they have villains that they could have focused on. They chose not to because I think what they're trying to do is they're just trying to cover... The idea, I think they're really just trying to like focus all of their attention on the main characters within DC Universe, which is fine for them because that has a lot to do with the sales. But in some regards, it, it, it's kind of doing a disservice to some of these other characters because they're basically saying, Hey, these other characters that we want you to buy every single month that have their own books, they're not even, they don't even have villains that are worth, you know, focusing on during this villains month. Um, and now this isn't just happening to the books we're covering here. It's also, they're also not publishing Nightwing, Batgirl. So, I mean, those books, you would think that they should have a villain in some way, shape, or form just because they have established universes. Not so much about Batgirl, but with Nightwing, he's had, you know, 180 plus issues before the New 52 where he had a significant amount of villains. And for a while, towards the end of the pre-New 52 era, 
Two-Face was really becoming like the villain for Nightwing. So they could have easily done a Two-Face book and had Nightwing as, as the main character, but they chose not to. And I think a lot of it has to do with the sales. Yeah, aren't they doing the ventriloquist? Isn't wasn't she just in Batgirl? Shouldn't that be a Batgirl issue, not a Batman number seven for the month or whatever it is? Oh yeah, uh, let's not get started on that. But uh, <laughs> I, I will say, you know that you know they the majority of the books are focusing on characters that are very established and have lengthy histories within the DC universe. Unfortunately, there are a couple of exceptions. The ventriloquist is one of them. Yes, why is it part of one of the Batman books and not a Batgirl? I have no idea, especially since presumably at the end of the last issue of Batgirl, which we reviewed, Ventriloquist is no longer to be seen. So she's gone, but then she's going to pop back up in September so that we can learn her origin story because it's so such an origin story that everyone's demanding. And plus, I just kind of don't like the fact that we're just stopping the stories again. I mean... A lot of the stuff's going to be in mid-arc, and we're just not going to get September books for them. I think that's just weird, too. I mean, this is this is becoming a recurring theme. What was it, zero year last year? And I, I just don't like it when – if you want to have a big event, I'm totally fine with it. But don't stop the whole universe because you want to sell more comic books in September. I agree. And I think that it, it – I mean, they did this last year with zero year, as you said. So, I mean, it really just seems as if every year they're going to try to pull something out to really make it – an event every September, which in in some ways it's interesting um, if you actually get some worthwhile things out of it, but I'm almost positive out of the 16 different books that are, you know, that Batman's headlining, I think that some of them are going to be just eh, and some of them will probably be really good, but I think that the majority of them are going to be eh, and I think part of the thing is because those specific titles have great sales month in and month out, why not Publish four of the same issue or four of the same four books from the same series within you know one month time frame. I, I can see from their perspective why they're doing it, and they're not going to have one that has Birds of Prey because why would anybody want to buy Birds of Prey? It doesn't have very good sales to begin with. But at the same point, it's just uh, I don't know. It's Plus, just... they jacked the price up a buck an issue, didn't they? Oh yes, and that's attributed to the fact that they have the special Lenticular covers which they're claiming is new technology, which I don't know why they're calling it technology. Why is that new technology? Yeah. Yeah. I guess they're not calling it lenticular. They're calling it motion covers instead of lenticular, but it's basically like a holographic cover. I'm sure of it. So I wonder if they're going to jack up the digital ones too in price. I mean, because they won't have holographic covers. I'm just, I'm just not looking forward to September in general, even if there are some great books that come out of it, just because there's is so many books realistically, because all of these other second-tier books aren't going to be publishing, there's not actually that many more books than normal. But at the same point, it's just, it's it's getting a little bit ridiculous that there's so many bad books. And you want to hear more thoughts about that, listen to the TVU Aftercast on the Batman Universe specials. Sweet. All right, so with that, that's that's everything we've got for news. We're going to get straight into our books, and the first book we're covering is Birds of Prey number 21. You two are useless. Oh, yeah? Well, you are useless. Nice comeback there, Chief. Birds of Prey, number 21. Talon versus Talon. Writer, Christy Marks. Artist, Raymond Molinier. We start back on the rooftop from last issue, when Calvin Rose attacks Strix and Batgirl. Batgirl senses that he may be holding back in the fight, 
but before she knows what had happened, he has her trapped behind a steel door and Strix all to himself. Strix launches herself at Calvin and both of them fall from the rooftop to the street below. Although she has the opportunity to take Calvin's life, she simply escapes. Calvin follows after her. Batgirl calls to Black Canary and Condor for help uh, after she is free, and the whole team begins to search the building for Strix. Calvin and Strix are once again fighting inside the building. At this point, Batgirl is searching on her own, and Black Canary and Condor are together. Condor decides at this time to reveal his identity to Diana and removes his helmet and tells her his name is Ben, and then he kisses her. Strix has gained the upper hand in the fight against Calvin. And as she stands over him with her sword, Calvin calls out to Casey and Sarah, telling them that he has failed them and asks for their forgiveness. Strick asks who they are, and he tells her the story. Strick has an idea that can save them all, and she races away with Calvin following after. Don't really have a lot in this issue, but I guess the first thing I want to get into was we finally do get the reveal on Condor and then the kiss. And what did you think of that whole reveal and the timing of that awkward scene? It was exactly that. It was very awkward. It didn't make a lot of sense. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to know who this Ben character is because of the, you know, the, the forcefulness of the kiss, but I don't know who this character is. I don't know if he was part of Team 7 or if he was part of, you know, if he was in that flashback a couple issues ago where she was thinking about her time with Team 7 when she first came to the team and everybody was recruited. I have absolutely no idea because... One, it's been a while back. They didn't really reference it. I, you know, they didn't put in the editor's notes to say, Hey, this, ha- you know, this character is referenced in X and X issue or, you know, Oh, are you wondering about the kiss? Check out team seven or, you know, some kind of cross promotion to get you to like read the other books. They didn't do any of that. And quite honestly, I don't really understand who this guy is. And it was extremely awkward specifically for the sheer fact that it didn't make any sense. Like, so he takes his he, he he takes his mask off, reveals who he is. Okay, I, I guess because he's thinking that the you know they, they could both die at any second. I guess I could chalk it up to that. But then followed by the kiss, that even made less sense. It was like, huh, what? So yeah, awkward. I didn't, and that, I had the same problem as you. It was like the strangest reveal in the world because like, hey, I'm Ben, and I'm like, well, hi, Ben. You know, I mean, <laughs> I don't know who the guy is. I guess he's just. Ben. So, I don't know. That whole scene to me, yeah, I, you hit it on the head. It was just the weirdest. And it, I, I don't know. We we have several awkward kisses I think we're going to cover this month. So, I thought that was 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 strange. And the other, only other real point I have is, is the fight scene between Calvin and Strix is, is kind of the feature of the book. Any thoughts on the fight overall? Not really. I, I honestly think that it was drawn out a little bit too much. I've got a lot more to say about the, the relationship between Calvin and Strix when we get to Talon, but... I think that in general, you can clearly see that neither one of them wants to hurt each other. I don't know why Mary is under the assumption that, you know, Calvin doesn't want to kill her other than, he, you know, he just hesitates and doesn't automatically kill her. But at the same point, it just the entire idea of him being sent off to, to kill her because the court doesn't want her around and they want it taken care of. And then in turn, she says she knew that he hesitated and then she doesn't go after him. Okay, fine, that makes sense. The one thing I do want to point out, which is relevant to the review for Talon, is he does make a point to say that she has scars all over her face. Yes, that's right. Because the horrible thing that she was in, or the fire bombing thing that she was in when before she became a Talon. And, you know, that's, I don't know what prompts him exactly to, to say, well, she she doesn't deserve to die because she's already gone through so much pain because... 
he's supposed to kill her. Does he really want Casey and Sarah to really be, you know, in the situation where they're getting killed and getting tortured? I don't think so. I think that when it comes down to it, I think he would have to figure it out one way or the other. And the fact that he basically just hesitates over and over again in this issue is just interesting. Yeah, and I thought that this kind of fight, to me, and we see it a lot, but it's always kind of anticlimactic because you know that Calvin's got his own book, and you know he's not actually going to kill her. And you know she's not actually going to kill him, so it's kind of was an anticlimactic fight scene for me. So that's all I got. All right, so Birds of Prey number 21, I'm going to give a total of two out of five batterings. Birds of Prey number 21, I'm going to give a total of two and a half out of five batterings. All right, so Birds of Prey number 21 gets a total of two out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Talon number nine. Please remember me, Mr. Wayne. Talon number nine, written by James Tinian Fourth, art by Miguel Sepulveda. Guest starring Birds of Prey. The issue starts off with kind of a recap of what happened in Birds of Prey number 21, talking about how Talon locked Batgirl in, was fighting against Strix, and then it automatically cuts to a scene where somehow Strix's costume is, is ripped, and she's, there's a body with her costume on it on the table, and basically, Calvin uses the serum that the court gave him on the body to make it as if this was the body. We then see Strix remove her mask to reveal someone who looks nothing like any Strix we've ever seen in any other book. He then goes back to the court, explaining that Mary is dead. And then uh, he says, so what's the plan now? Where are we, what are we, how are we going to take out Sebastian Clark and Bane? And the court says, well, we're going to airdrop you into Santa Prisca. Before he goes, he asks for two minutes to see Casey. And he goes and tells the brute butcher Talon that uh, he gets two minutes. He gives her a kiss and says that he's counting on her to do what he taught her. At Santa Prisca, we see Talon in a free fall from an airplane higher than 10,000 feet, dropping towards the main fortress that is on Santa Prisca. He then lets his parachute go so that everyone chases after the parachute, infiltrates the fortress, takes the guise of a guard, goes in, and we see a number of different experiments that are taking place on the island with Venom. Then we see him in his guise being right in front of Bane as Bane questions one of the guards as to whether or not the decoy was actually found. He says, no, it was not found, and Bane, in turn, punishes him by smashing his head into the wall. Sebastian Clark kind of questions what Bane's doing, if it was really necessary, and he and Bane insists that Sebastian Clark is there as a observer, and that is all. We then see one of the guards, which is actually Calvin, take out the other three guards with some poison starts, has Sebastian Clark in his grips. We then cut to Casey Washington, who has freed herself with a lockpick that was in her mouth, and then she pulls out a tooth that has a beacon that shoots out a signal in Morse code, and halfway around the world, we see two of her former agents that worked for her hearing the call and packing up very quickly off the beach in their skimpy swimsuits to go after Casey Washington. We then see Calvin in front of Calvin Rose about to take his life when he says, this isn't going to be very easy for you when we are introduced to Wolf Spider, who is there to protect 
Sebastian Clarke. Next, Trapped with Monsters on Santa Prisco. All right. Oh, my God. So, Talon number nine. So, the first thing I'm going to talk about is the first scene that involved Strix. So, everything we've learned about Strix up to this point was that she was Asian. I'm not even going to differentiate what ethnicity she is because it's not really relevant. The point is she's Asian. Somehow she's turned into an African-American, which doesn't make any sense to me. And she has a shaved head, which may or may not be the case. But I think it's interesting that they take a body and the body (laughs) seemingly looks Asian and also has long hair, but no scars on the face. And they are going to make that body the body of Strix. Somehow, Strix becomes an African-American female with the shaved head who has no scars on her face, or at least no... Visible scars. Not not (laughs) visible scars. I mean, she has the same marks on her face as as Calvin does because of the regenerative serum that's in her body. But what did you think of that? Because I was almost... I was actually completely lost by what the heck was going on because it basically jumped from, oh, well, we're going to use this body to make it seem like this is you. I need you to strip down and just put on this lab coat, leave your mask on, and then when you take your mask off, you're going to look like nobody we've ever seen before. I was so lost. I, I must have read through it four times. I Seriously, I was like, what the hell is going on here? You know, I mean, like at first I, I thought it was Strix was the dead body because it more looked like her. It looked more like her. And then she was this other chick who doesn't look anything like we've ever I, – I, like they do know that she's taken off the mask before, right? I mean – couldn't someone at DC send him a digital copy of the book or something where she had the mask off before? I don't know. To me, it was just – it was so sloppy. And and it, and like you said, we when we opened up the scene, it, it felt like I like missed a book or something, you know, that I hadn't read something that was relevant because I don't know. I mean, how could you screw something up that badly, though? I mean, really, I, I didn't nobody in editing or just somebody who was looking at it go, uh, guys, you know, that's not what she looks like, right? Yeah. I- <laughs> it just was mind-boggling to me because when at first when they show the body laying on the table and it looks just like the character we've seen in the past, I thought, okay, that's Strix. It doesn't it doesn't make any sense because she has she, you know they made the comment that she has scars all over her face from the last issue, so why doesn't she have scars? Okay, I could chalk that up to you know they just didn't think about it. But then when he starts talking to the other chick who looks nothing like Strix, I'm like, okay, wait a second. So I really started trying to like overthink this scene and thinking to myself, did they somehow like change the bodies or something? I'm like, no, that's never, nothing like that with the Court of Owls has never come up. So none of it made absolutely any sense to me. Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, I'm assuming it's just an art screw up. And I don't know. Like I couldn't, it's stupid. I just don't, I don't get it. All right. So then the, the other thing I want to talk about is the, thing with Casey Washington, the fact that she somehow has this lockpick in her mouth the entire time, but has been here for what we would presume a number of days. Coincidentally, the only reason she's, I guess, alone in the room is because Calvin told the butcher that he got two minutes. It's clearly been more than two minutes. Why the butcher doesn't come back? Why does she have the ability to break her shackles? I have no idea. I do think it's interesting that she does pull out that tooth and sends out the signal and, you know, Coincidentally, her agents that we haven't seen 
for a while that disappeared after I think it was like issue three or four, other than the one pop up by the chick in the Emperor Penguin story in Detective Comics number 18, which they did point out in the book, which I thought was kind of interesting. These agents, they get a call saying, you know, that Casey's in trouble. How are they going to find her? You know, the fact that Casey Washington states that this is only going to send out a Morse code to them means I'm not sure how they're going to actually be able to find her, how they're going to be able to save her, anything like that. It doesn't make any sense. But I do like the idea of them bringing these agents back, even if it is for a gratuitous skimpy bikini shot in the book. I do think it's interesting that they bring these characters back because I think that this was some characters that they didn't do enough with when they first started, when they first brought these characters back and they disappeared so suddenly. I'm liking the fact that they brought them back. Yeah, I think it's cool that the, I mean, I think they could add something back to the book. I mean, if, if Casey does have this whole, you know, organization out there, it's, you know, her and Calvin obviously can't handle anything on their own. They've made a total mess of it. So I like the fact they bring them back. I do thought it was funny that they were, you know, hanging out with the bikini on the beach. Just once, I want someone in a comic book to send a Morse code or a, a secret message out to like a 40-something fat housewife in a house dress, you know? Something a little more realistic, but I mean, it's cool. I want them back in the book because I really think it's this book is starting to lose its way a little bit. So, yeah. All right. So, Talon number nine, I'm going to give a total of two out of five batterings. Talon number nine, I'm going to give a total of one out of five batterings. So, Talon number nine gets a total of one and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Teen Titans number 21. Teen Titans number 21, The Brothers Trigon, writer Scott Liddell and artist Eddie Barrows. So we start this book right where we left off last month. Raven's brothers have arrived on the scene in New York, and an all-out battle breaks out. Raven reveals that she has the power. She can kind of charge up someone who is resilient enough, and she charges up Superboy before he heads off in the battle against one of the brothers' Trigon. Casey and Bunker are facing off against one of the brothers together, and then Kid Flash is fighting another brother, but then the other Trigon brother takes over his body. So he's now possessed by one of them. We then cut to a scene of Amanda Waller and some government types who are trying to figure out how they're going to deal with the fallout of the situation. And then we immediately jump right back into the fight, and we see that Superboy's supercharge is wearing off. And at this point, Beast Boy and Raven are away from the action, and he is counseling her and telling her that she doesn't have to be alone again if she doesn't want to, and she can be part of the team. Bunker, at this point, out of all the people here, Bunker manages to dispatch one of the brothers, and Kid Flash kind of breaks free of his mind control, and he decides to kiss Solstice in the middle of the fight. Common theme this month. Raven rips the heart out of one of the brothers, but she says that she, and she knows he will heal fast, and he'll be back up on his feet again. And she tells the team that once Trigon has his mind set on a realm, he will always take it by force. Then Trigon shows back on the, up on the scene, and then we see that we have Superboy, Kid Flash, Bunker, and Wonder Girl are all under his mind control. Next up, Dark Titans. Just a couple things here. One is there seems to be a lot of inner team romance brewing in this book. you think any of these relationships are going to stick? And was the Kid Flash Solstice kiss as awkward as the first strange kiss we covered this month? Well, I think that part of the reason why there's so much romance is because this is the, these are teenagers and they're really trying to, like, Hormones. Hit, yeah, they're truly trying to hit on the fact that, hey, these are teenagers. Of course they're going to have all this romance stuff, or at least be thinking it all the time, because they're teenagers. Why? What else would they yeah, What else are they going to do? Exactly. So, I mean, like, I get it to a certain degree. I do think it's interesting to have kind of these, I don't know that I'd say odd pairings, but I wouldn't necessarily automatically link 
Kid Flash with Solstice, so it's an, it's an interesting pairing there. Outside of that, I don't really, none of the other ones are kind of really that interesting to begin with, but I think that it, I think the reason they're focused on it is mostly because they're teenagers and they don't really know what else to focus on outside of them just getting into, you know, ridiculous fights that really seem to be above what they should be doing. I don't know. I can't. I mean, I don't know. I, I think that it's, I think that it's, it's like you said, it's, 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 I don't really understand the pairings. It does seem like they just started this, like you said, they're teenagers, so they must be constantly dating and, and, and bickering. Again, with the, the kiss in the middle of a fight, it's, it's almost like, is this part of the DC playbook? Kissing at odd moments, because it kind of drove me crazy. But yeah, I don't think any of them are really going to stick or be character changing. I think they're just going to be on again, off again romances. The other thing here is it, this is a, a big fight, you know, issue basically from cover to cover with the little interlude with Amanda Waller in the middle. What did you think of the pacing of the fight? Because I thought it was kind of disjointed. It seemed to be kind of lurching around a little bit. I think it was lurching. I think the the thing was that really the page layouts also kind of messed around with some of it too, especially that one layout where Raven is pulling the heart out of one of her brothers. Leading up to that, you have no idea what the heck's going on, and then two panels later, she's holding a heart, and it's like, wait, what? What just happened here? Like, they never actually showed her pulling out the heart. They never really showed her arm in the back of him. They really just showed him going, having, like, this surprised look on his face and some weird urch sound, or I don't even know what it was exactly, but it was some weird sound effect, and then he's falling to the ground, and then she's standing there with this heart, and it's just like, uh, you could have probably done that better. The The other problem was because there was three different fights going on in three different places, that also didn't make a lot of sense to me because they really just automatically, as soon as the book started, it started as they're having three separate fights in three different locations, but at the end of the last issue, the three brothers showed up all at the same place while the team was all standing around each other. So how'd they all split up? What was the purpose of splitting up? What happened to the whole point of, wait, uh, we don't want to destroy any more of New York City because everyone's just going to talk about how horrible we are as superheroes because we're destroying all this stuff. So what do they do? They spread the fight out even further and take it to other areas of New York City. Yeah, and you just touched upon the thing that I kind of bothered me was at the close of last of the last issue, the big thing was that Trigon was going to destroy their team unity by you know having them all branded as traitors and terrorists. And then we go right back into this issue, and then they just start blowing up the rest of the city. Like, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of wasn't. I kind of lost the pace there. And I guess the other, the really other, other point I have, which is kind of deals with this a little bit, is you know, right at the beginning, uh, Red Robin calls out that code, whatever it is, we're going to do a number fifty-six. And I was thinking that this team really that doesn't seem to me like they've had a lot of training time together. So, you know, what is 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 this just? lacking continuity in my mind, or is it, is it kind of not making sense overall to you as well? I think the problem is that it's it's not really making a lot of sense in general. We've never really been privy to the fact that they've actually sat down and trained with each other ever in the entire run of the series. Basically, the series has been Robin recruits them, they automatically get into some fights, and then they keep fighting, and then they have problems amongst themselves because they're not really a team, inner team conflict, Let's have some sidesteps with some things that are happening with Red Robin, with Death of the Family, and then we get back into another giant fight. And that's really all it's been since the very beginning. Yeah, I feel the same way. There's so much 
elements in this story that just don't make any sense to me right now. You have a team that's fighting together using complex maneuvers that I don't think they've ever trained together. I mean, we had that they spent an afternoon on, on the boat like four issues ago, but everything just always kind of falls in this giant fight scene. So this book is kind of, kind of lost the pulse for me, but that's all I got. All right. So Teen Titans number 21, I'm going to give a total of two out of five batterings. Teen Titans number 21, I am also going to give a total of two out of five batterings. All right. So that's going to give Teen Titans number 21 a total of two out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Catwoman number 21. You boys thought you could come in here and steal all these beautiful things. What a perfect idea. Written by Anne Ocenti, art by Rafa Sandoval. The uh, issue starts off with a rain of penguin bombs making their way to the Badlands when Catwoman is outrunning them, and she dives and sees a woman who is carrying a jug of milk, and she tries to save her thing of milk, and Catwoman has to save her. We then cut to the sewers underneath the Badlands where all of the rat tails are basically gathering up supplies and making themselves being able to possibly fight the war when Catwoman is talking to the main rat tail and is telling him that you know don't you have more guns and he said no the best way to actually stop penguin is to take out his extremely expensive technology because it costs him a ton of money to make it they then go up to the roof where he shows that they are making a number of catapults and they have been relying on the local doctors, welders, carpenters, and the unions to actually make some of the stuff that they are using to fight off Penguin. We then see Volt, who is trying to take out some gang members on a rooftop very close to them. They end up launching one of these bottle bombs that they have, and it ends up exploding and causing Volt to fall into some water down below, but the water is actually being electrified because there's a downed power line. He ends up getting a, a giant jolt, loses his hair and half his clothes, and says that felt good. We then see the girl who carrying the, the milk jug again, talking about how difficult it is to deal with the so-called war that's happening right now. We then see back on the rooftops, Rat Tail and Catwoman throwing a bolo and ziplining across the building to take out one of the helicopters. Then at Penguin's headquarters, we see... Basically, the two women that we would presume at this point to be prostitutes to be, that are hired by Penguin to, like, I guess, keep him company, getting smacked around by Lark, who says that they shouldn't talk bad about the hand that feeds them. At the Gotham City morgue, Detective Bullock is telling the mayor that they need to do something about this, and the mayor says, you know what, why not let them take out each other? It'll be less garbage that we'll have to clean up after this is all said and done. We then cut back to Penguin, where he's getting pretty ticked that they're not winning and that the gang members are actually taking out a number of his technology that he has. He then tells Lark that they need to take out Catwoman because she could be a cause behind this, and he wants to know why they haven't killed everybody that she loves. After this, explained that Catwoman really doesn't love anybody, that she uses them for whatever she wants. One of the henchmen speaks up and says, I think she's been taking a liking to Rat Tail. Then, back at the Badlands, we see Catwoman and Rat Tail talking about different things. 
Turns out the woman carrying the jug of milk is actually Joe Pazos, the guy who was possessed by the demon in a previous issue. She's actually trying to get the milk for babies that are living in the Badlands because they need the milk for them. After a couple of tremors, the ground actually starts crumbling and a helicopter appears and is about to shoot Rat Tail and Catwoman. But after an explosion that goes off, the ground falls out below Rat Tail. Rat Tail falls into the ground and then Catwoman thinks she has him, but she doesn't. She has a cat. Coincidentally, a rock hits the jug of milk that they've been focusing on all issue sprays milk all over Catwoman's face, causing the cat that Catwoman grabbed to lick her nose. And then we see next Catwoman goes underground, presumably after Rat Tail. Oh, man. This comic book is ridiculous. Okay. So, I don't even know where to start because, it's ridiculous. as you already said, this is absolutely ridiculous. Basically, there's there's absolutely no point to this 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 book at all. It's gotten to the point where it's like, why even bother with this? A- I mean, it's it's nice that Bullock is making an appearance. It's nice that they have Mayor Hattie making an appearance, but like, really, like, what is the point of this? Like, half the and I wouldn't say half the issue. There was a good amount of panels that was dedicated to the chick with the bottle of milk, which you know that's great. I don't know where she got that large size of a bottle of milk because that was like a third of her body. And I don't know anywhere that sells, you know, third of your body containers of milk anywhere. <laughs> like, then they, they, they focus on it so much and then they reveal, oh, this is actually Joe Pazzo's daughter. Okay, fine. I guess that, you know, I guess in some way that ties it together. But, like, why is she carrying the milk? So that at the last scene they can have the cat lick Catwoman's face? I mean, like, why? I don't understand anything. Like, it. <laughs> Like I was reading, I was, I remember I was reading this book, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. And I was like, it, I literally thought, man, it can't get any dumber than this. And then Penguin shows up at a an attack helicopter. Yeah, I didn't know he was a <laughs> helicopter pilot either. I mean, this whole thing is just stupid. Like you said, it makes it makes less than no sense. I don't, I don't. I mean, what happened to Black Mass Treasure? I guess we're not doing that. I mean, I don't. I don't know. No, no, no. I bet they are doing that because now that she's going to go underground, she'll happen to come across it somehow. I'm sure that's what will end up happening. I really don't have anything to say about this issue, like to actually discuss, because I just think it's ridiculous and there's not really anything even worth discussing. Everything makes absolutely no sense. Volt, you know, getting electrocuted and, and then losing his hair because he's electrocuted and then losing half his clothes. I, I don't really understand. And then I don't know if you noticed, but there was another point where Volt or someone who looks exactly like Volt reappears wearing the same exact costume, diving at Catwoman Rat Tail. And I couldn't tell if that was Volt because that was the exact same outfit that Volt was wearing earlier. But this guy's not missing all his hair. He's on the same vehicle that Volt was on. He's, you know, in the same costume as Volt was in. So, I mean, maybe that's just the, the costume that Penguin's henchmen wear, which is fine. But, like, why would you have to specifically name out a character and make sure that everyone knows his name is Volt if he's just going to be, you know, look exactly like everybody else? I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I literally have, I literally don't know what the hell just happened in the book. Like, the milk thing is the dumbest. Mo- I mean, it's just – and there's the Volt who's back – and then I just, I seriously found it very difficult to believe 
the editorial like let this get published. Like they're going to pull the plug on this book any month now, right? I mean, <laughs> <I'm not dumb. laughs> I mean, it's it's brutal. It's 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 it's. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I mean, this book sucks. Yeah. And th- the other thing that I found pretty interesting was, and this is kind of like a stupid thing, but just so happens that the guns that Rat Tail is shooting somehow makes the sound rat a tat tat rat a tat. Oh God, I know. Like really? <sighs> I mean, they went there. I just I. I'm assuming, like you said, we're going to go underground now, and I don't... Yeah, I uh, am... Let's just leave it there. Catwoman, I'm going to give 0.5 out of 5 batarangs. I'm going to give Catwoman 0.5 out of 5 batarangs simply because someone had to take had to actually draw this crap that she came up with, and may God have mercy on Innocente's soul. This is unbelievably bad. Alright, so Catwoman number 21 gets a total of 0.5 out of 5 batarangs. Let's move into our next book. Batwoman number 21. Batwoman number 21, Interlude 3, J.H. Williams and W. Hayden Blackman writers, and Francisco Frankvella is the artist. We open up with Killer Croc at the end of the Medusa arc, who had, you know, kind of vanished from the book. He is rescued from the rubble he is in following the big fight scene with Medusa, and taken down below into the sewers by some hooded figures. We then jump forward and see that he has been recovering for quite some time as at least unconscious for 10 days. He's been living down there long enough to have a girlfriend who is also a type of lizard-human hybrid, very similar to the type of, of what he is. This underground gang of, of kind of freaks has decided that they want Killer Croc to become their new king, but the one thing he must do in order to do this is kill Batwoman. Croc resurfaces and tracks down the scent of Batwoman to Maggie, and is kind of hiding about to ambush her, thinking that she may actually be Batwoman, when Batwoman shows up on a motorcycle. He does finally attack him at this point. The fight is fairly even until Flamebird shows up to help him, and then Croc decides that, He's going to have to go on the run. He eventually eludes them and finds his way back to the underground lair. At this point, a member of the cult steps forward and insists that if he didn't kill Batwoman, then he can't be the king. He says he knows what he needs to do, and he kills that guy. And then we, we see that Claire, who is his girlfriend, his, his uh, lizard girlfriend, is pregnant. And he makes a decision that they are going to leave and go somewhere where they can all be safe away from Gotham. My first question here is, there's an attempt in this book to show Killer Croc as more of a, a sympathetic figure, which is something like we haven't seen a lot before, in my opinion, not to this degree. What do you think about that? Do you, do you buy him as a sympathetic figure or not? I think it's okay, specifically for the fact that they've been playing out the fact that Killer Croc was like the AA person for Roy Harper over in Red Hood, which made me think as if this character is not necessarily a bad guy. If he's helping somebody who is potentially a hero, why would he do that if he was such a bad guy? So it's believable only because of what's been happening in Red Hood. If you only look at Batwoman, it's not necessarily believable, and it really just makes it out to be, well, this guy who is this killer, you know, so many issues ago and was trying to, you know, eat the flesh of humans and this, that, and the other, and, oh, he's so horrible, and now all of a sudden they've 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 completely turned the idea of what he is. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they wrote the story from his perspective. The entire issue was basically that, which in one way was kind of like a downtread just because of the events that happened at the end of the last issue. This was kind of like a weird place for this issue to happen was because I was expecting it to get straight into, okay, Batwoman, you're going to go figure out Batman's identity, and instead we get this Killer Croc story that has Batwoman show up in, like, two pages. So 
I think that the idea of making him a sympathetic character is it works, but it has nothing to do with how he's been portrayed outside of Batwoman before this issue. Yeah, I've never, you know, really liked it when they do this with characters. I mean, there's some characters that you can do it with. But like you said, when you got a guy who literally eats people, I can't really get behind the, oh, shucks, let's feel bad for him type, you know, deal. It just, it always rings through as very hollowed. Not that this was poorly wrote. I just, the concept has never been one that I really, really got behind. It's something you just touched on, but this is, book is called Interlude 3, and it's, again, it's an interlude where we completely stop the action. And not just in this book, but we see this happen all the time. It was Batman Inc. a couple months ago that just put the Japanese Batman thing in the middle of nowhere. Do you, know, do you like it when they do this? Is it fun to have these little side stories, or do you just kind of wish they'd stay on track? Here's the thing. I understand that the idea behind Batwoman is that they have these ridiculously long story arcs that last, you know, in some cases longer than some of Scott Snyder's story arcs. And I think that by having the interludes, it's okay. But only when, when it makes sense. Like, here's the thing. Killer Croc showing up in the middle of the story of Batwoman trying to go find Batman's identity out doesn't make any sense. It's not progressing the story. Now, if you want to have an interlude story or like a standalone story that's one issue where it basically has, you know, the thoughts of one of the characters outside of the group, where it was be like, it's a story from Maggie's perspective and she's thinking about how, you know, everything could go extremely wrong and like it gives a little bit of her backstory and it has, it's not actually progressing the story of that woman trying to find Batman's identity, but at the same point, you're learning more about Maggie. You're you're building the universe within the, the series. That's okay. This doesn't really do that because, like I said, Killer Croc hasn't showed up in the books for a very long period of time. So for him just to show back up because it's convenient, because they want to do an issue, and, and I hate to say this, but I think the, the, that part of the reason he showed up was because Francisco Francavella, who normally does a lot of the horror-type stuff, was going to be the artist who was attached to at least to this issue. He was coming in, so they thought, hey, let's do a story that would really accent the work that Frank Avella can do and at the same time builds the universe more. But the problem is that it's so far outside of what's going on that it's like, it's basically like last year when you get that zero issue in the middle of like a giant story arc and then it completely derails everything. Like, I don't like when they do this because then what ends up happening is the long story arcs end up taking so much longer to get through. Yeah, and for me, too, it's it, you know, I agree with what you said completely. And my other big problem with this stuff is I lose momentum. Like, I'm looking forward to what was going to happen in Batwoman this month. We had the kind of little cliffhanger, you know, the, the Batman identity thing. And then it just, by the time we finally get back to it, it's going to be, what, two months? Since, I mean, you mentally, you're, you're losing the momentum of, oh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how the story goes. And it, it doesn't do me a service for these books. And I, and I, and I kind of always puzzled, like you said, I can understand that they may want to do something to, to utilize his particular art style, but keep it remotely on topic. You know, I mean, this story would have been fine if it was what it had been here, what eight issues ago at the end of the Medusa storyline. But now it just feels like they're reaching too far back. I, I mean, I, I think the timing of the story is, and again, I, I don't think that, it's poorly wrote. I just don't know why it was wrote, if that makes any sense. No, it does. It does. And it's just, it, it, it comes down to the fact that this was just very poor placement. 
this story could have worked, but it needed to be at a different point. Like, this could have happened in the middle of the Medusa storyline, or at the end, like you said. But, like, this far after all of the Medusa stuff, and we were, you know, dead set in the middle of the the DEO stuff, and the family issues that, that Kate has... And all of this, like, this is not the place for this story. Now, don't get me wrong. I actually thought that this was a good story. I just thought that the placement of it was actually really bad. Yeah, and I agree. I think it is a good story. I just don't know why it happened now. And I guess my last point, you know, touch on something the story is, we see Croc and his girlfriend here, and she's pregnant. I mean, to me, this do you think that this is going to be something that we're going to go back to? I mean, or do you think this is just a total one-shot? Or do you think we're going to see something with Croc and his kid and his girlfriend? Well, I I don't know that I would, I would say that we're going to see it again. I think that they are hinting at a possibility of something that they could continue on in the future. But maybe it's just something that they're putting out there so that if, they, if someone else wanted to pick up Killer Croc in the future, they could. I don't know that it's specifically making it as, oh, they are going to do something with him again. But it's basically like, he's going to leave Gotham, he's going to be safe because he's going to start a family. And you know what, and I, I think that's good. And again, it, it does make the character a little bit more sympathetic because, you know, he doesn't care about taking out the hero for once. He, he actually cares about, you know, starting his family because his girlfriend's pregnant. And I think that's, I think that's a good thing. It, you know, it shows that he's not necessarily just, you know, this cannibalistic creature that they portrayed him in the beginning issues of Batwoman. Yeah, I, I'm thinking that I really like the, the writers in this book a lot. I, mean, I think they've always done a good job. So there is some part in the back of my mind that's telling me that they put this in here, although I still think the placement is Bizarro World, that they maybe put this in here because they're going to bring him back into the story loop somehow. But if they do that, they'll, they'll get a, a pat on the back from me because I think that they'll have deeked us all. But I, I think that they are probably going to go back. To it. I don't know why, but I can just see like the wrap up of this DEO storyline and then the Batwoman versus Killer Croc family thing going on. So I think it's something they are going to go back to. But that's all my thoughts on that book. Well, one thing I do want to bring up that you didn't mention was it's not so much an awkward kiss like we've seen in the other <laughs> books, but the fact that Maggie Sawyer is just sitting on the on the hood of her car on this hill and then Batwoman pulls up in costume and then decides that she's going to kiss Maggie, you know, out in the open. What did you think about that? Because I thought it was just odd. I mean, like, as I was reading Croc's thoughts, I was thinking, wow, I'm thinking exactly what he's thinking. Like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Yes, we know that they're in a relationship, but why would Kate risk someone finding out that, you know, Maggie is someone very important to her in public, like, where someone could see them? That's the thing that kind of blew my mind, was the fact that, like, they have no problem, like... You know, it's fine. You know, it's not It's not every day that we don't see Batman kissing a chick that he's currently with. We, we see that actually quite quite a few times. But at the same point, what ends up eventually happening is someone ends up finding out that Batwoman likes this chick. And then the chick ends up, you know, get, becoming a hostage and then eventually murdered or never wanting to be with Bruce Wayne slash Batman again. So, I mean, like, why would they risk, you know, doing something like that, showing a public display of affection out in front of literally the public where anybody could see them. Yeah. You know, what's funny is I don't know why, but that I didn't even occur to me when I was reading the book, but it, it 
Now that you brought it up, it does make a lot of sense. I mean, I had just kind of thought mentally that they were out in the middle of nowhere, but, you know, obviously not so much that they are outside. Yeah, no, I mean, now that you bring it up, I guess that is kind of a, kind of stupid. And in, in Croc's comments, when he says, you know, he, he's tracked their smell there, I mean, I thought it would, it should have been fairly obvious to him that the reason why her back woman's scent was all over, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I know, I knew, but I, I mean, at the same point, I don't think that he was thinking it like that because even when he said, he's like, when they kiss, he's like, wow, I didn't see that coming out of anywhere. And then it all makes sense, I'm sure, to him. But like leading up to it, it made more sense what he said about, oh, well, if the smell is all over of Batwoman is all over this chick, then it, she must be Batwoman. And that made sense to me the way it was explained. But at the same time, I don't know. I just, if I was a hero, I don't think I'd be kissing anybody in public if I was in my costume. No, and you know what the problem is? And you really hit on this a minute ago. It's we've got so used to, like, these public, you know, PDA between Batman slash whoever or the Teen Titans making out or Birds of Prey members making out that I think that it's – your point is perfect. I mean, obviously, like, they should not do this. I mean, take it to the rooftop or take it inside. But I, I guess – that's just kind of where they are now in continuity. That it's okay and no one sees them, but it's a good point. Yeah, nobody sees them until it's convenient for a story plot. All right, Batwoman number 21, I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five batterings. I'm going to give Batwoman number 21 a total of, I'm going to say three and a half out of five batterings. And it's probably my favorite book of the, of the lot for the month, even though the timing was weird. It was well done. All right, so Batwoman number 21 gets a total of three and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book. Batwing number 21. This is too much power for one person. That's why I gave it to you. Only you can use it. Spying on 30 million people isn't part of my job description. This is an audio sample. If he talks within range of any phone in the city, you can triangulate his position. I'll help you this one time. But consider this my resignation. As long as this machine is at Wayne Enterprises, I won't be. Written by Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray, art by Eduardo Pensiska. The issue kicks off right where we left off with the last issue where Batwing is trying to take out the giant lion man, and basically he ends up taking him out after a number of pages, takes him out. It turns out Batman was watching him the entire time. He uses the bat tank slash mobile slash whatever vehicle he wants to call it to take out the lion man. And he tells Batman, do you didn't trust me, blah, blah, blah. And he says, no, I knew you weren't going to be able to mess this up. And the mine is part of a much bigger project that we're working right now. So then what ends up happening is he explains to him that his training is over and he's done with Africa for now. And he'll see him back in Gotham City. One week later, he's sitting in his loft where he is approached by his girlfriend, who tells him that, you know, it's nice of him that he went off to Africa for two months, but he didn't call or text or email her enough, so he's breaking up with her. He then proceeds to say that his father really liked her and always said that she was way too mature for him. He ends up chasing after her and convincing her that he's going to try harder. We then cut to thousands of miles away where the lion man is chained inside of an airplane, surrounded by a bunch of guards, and his mouth is covered with some sort of device. The guards start talking about, well, maybe we should ask him, and they're like, uh, I don't think so, I don't think that's a good idea, when all of a sudden the top of the plane gets attacked by 
some giant ant flying airplane. And the ant men that we saw in the previous issue start attacking all the soldiers, free the lion man, only to say that it's actually time for him to be executed because he failed the queen and the client that they have so that the mine is now overtaken by Wayne Enterprises. And because of that, they're going after the person who is backing Batman Incorporated, meaning Bruce Wayne. So they say that they're not there to actually free him, but to execute him after the Lion Man bites off one of the ant guard men's arms he ends up fighting them, kills a bunch of them, tears a hole in the plane, and jumps out of the plane. Back in Gotham City, it looks like the foxes are all going to sit down for dinner, where we see uh, Tam Fox, who we haven't seen for quite some time. She's there discussing different things about how she's daddy's little girl, and Luke is basically the screw-up of the family. We then see Lucius Fox, as well as his mom and his younger sister, all sit down for dinner, and we find out that his youngest sister, who's only seven years old, has an IQ of 190 and reads Adler Cattell from Hull for fun. Uh, we then see Luke trying to have a discussion with his father when he gets a telephone call from Batman telling him he has to do something. Lucius Fox is pretty ticked off about this, and Batman says, unfortunately, Mara Bunta, which is the weird Ant-Man, are here in Gotham, stay on your toes, as we see the actual house of Lucius Fox being completely swarmed by the Ant Guard men. Next, Under Siege. Alright, battling number 21. So, the first thing I want to say is I am so glad that he is not going to be in Africa, for now. I talked about this the last time we did the issue, the issue 20, about, you know, we really thought that he was going to get out of Africa. We thought there was no reason that he needed to be in Africa because of the whole, why are we getting away from David Zimbimi and why are we trying to bring the, tie the character closer to the Batman universe if he's still going to be in Africa. And I am so glad that they revealed that, in fact, he's not going to be in Africa. It was just a training mission because Batman needed an agent of Batman Incorporated to take out this mine so that he could use it for this bigger scheme. Yeah, I am 300% on board with what, with the fact that he came back to Gotham. I mean, I was terrified at the end of last month that, oh, great, the whole idea was to bring him closer to the family and they're going to leave him in Africa. So, yeah, I'm really glad that he's back in Gotham, too. And we can already see some of that family element between him and the rest of the Fox family. And I think that is going to be a big part of the character. And I think that's one of the things that I'm looking really forward to. And I was looking really forward to when they first announced this character as Batwing was the fact that you're going to see all of this interaction and tie Lucius Fox more into the fold instead of just these cameos that pop up, you know, every couple months in a random book. We see Tam Fox, who we haven't seen since the fake marriage proposal that happened during Red Robin before the New 52. We also find out that Luke has a younger sister who's a super genius who's only seven years old. I don't think I've ever heard her mentioned ever before. So, I mean, there's a lot of really different elements that are going on here with the Fox family that they're really trying to build this family. They introduce Luke's girlfriend and, you know, kind of give a little bit of the... Uh, kind of start building her and saying that she's more mature than him and that she's looking for somebody serious and all of this stuff. The, I, I think that they're doing a good job now that they've brought him back to Gotham of starting to build 
his world. Like they're doing a, a lot of world building as far as like building the characters, setting up his situations and stuff. And I think it's really interesting. What do you think? Totally agree. I, in fact, I think this book is, and the kind of the feeling I got when I got done reading this book is, and I, and I like this, is I think this is going to become the Fox family book. You're going to get a lot of Lucius in there. You're going to get some of Tam. I think this is going to become very centered on his supporting cast. And it was always nice when we saw Lucius and the other members of the Fox family in the other titles, but they were always a page here, a page there, maybe a story here or there that, that really dealt on them. But I think this time, and there was some, you know, back in Robin in the day, but I really think this is going to be cool to, to see the exploration of this family in the new 52 for the first time. So I love it. I think it's a great direction. The only other thing that I have is what do you think about the fact that these Ant-Men who were in Africa are now coming to Gotham? It's still staying close to the original ties that we have seen with Batwing where these guys were in Africa, were threatened in Africa, and now they're coming to Gotham City to go after Batman Incorporated, which in some ways makes sense, but they're going to be in Gotham. So how many more issues do you think it'll be before he starts fighting actual things in Gotham and not things that are coming to him to Gotham from Africa? I think that Jimmy Pagliotti is going to move it on really, really quick. And I think that by the mid of next issue, this is going to be a Gotham-only book. That's just kind of my feelings on it. Because, I mean, he moves so – I mean, remember, at the end of last issue, our biggest gripe was we thought he was going to stay in Africa, you know? And by the end of this issue, he's back in Gotham, and he's going to stay. I, I think he's just going to quick transition it over there. But I, I do hope they keep bringing back 1960s B-list Hawkman villains, because I think that's an interesting way to go. All right. And actually, I said that was the last thing, but the only other thing I wanted to throw out there was, what did you think of the the weird comments from Luke's girlfriend about the random sex? <laughs> I thought they were a little misplaced. I don't know if that was, you know, totally necessary. I mean, Luke's a vibrant young man, I guess, you know, but it really didn't really know. I, I, just, I, I, I just thought it was kind of odd because she makes the thing about, you know, you're not even calling me to have random sex with me and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, huh, okay, that's kind of weird. But then, like, a couple panels later, he's saying, but wait, we haven't even had sex. And I'm like, okay, so they haven't had sex. Why would she even bring that up then? Like, that was so weird to me. Yeah, I... That was the one part of the comic that I was kind of like, what the? I mean, the part with the girlfriend was when she stormed off, I was like, let her go, dude. She's nuts. Yeah, that whole thing was, I don't know what that was all about, but I'll forgive him that sin. But yeah, I was sort of like, I read that whole scene with a, well, they wait a minute. She's, he's calling her, but she's, he's not because they haven't done it, but they're, I don't know. So, yeah, I just thought it was kind of weird. Yeah. All right, so Batwing number 21, I'm going to give a total of three out of five batterings. I am also going to give it three out of five batterings. All right, so Batwing number 21 gets a total of three out of five batterings. Let's move into our last book, Red Hood and the Outlaws number 21. Perhaps we should do the hanging out. We never have before, and conceivably it could be fun. We might journey to the mall of shopping, or perform braiding maneuvers upon each other's hair, or... You wish to be alone? Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 21, Dissolution. Writer, James Tenian IV, artist, Julio Gopez. This story opens up with Jason on the run on his motorcycle and Roy Harper having a therapy session with none other than Dr. Hugo Strange. Corey is waiting on them in the waiting room when Essence shows up and warns her that Hugo Strange has sold them out and she and Roy need to get out of there pronto. 
Then we have a cut scene over to Jason, who is running away from Lady Shiva and Cheshire, and they're chasing him through the woods. And then we cut back in, and Corey breaks down the door and confronts Hugo and Roy with what she's learned from Essence. Before we can get any type of closure, Hugo is denying it, but before we kind of get any closure on that, the Entitled show up on the scene. And then we see back to Jason. He's running through the woods, and at this point, Blood Mage shows up, as well as Bronze Tiger. And they finally corral Jason, and the whole gang of them is transported to the home of the League of Assassins, the city that Ra's al Ghul built underground. Then we cut back, and the Entitled now offer Corey and Roy a deal. They will help them lead the assault on the city of the League of Assassins to help them get Jason out of there. And the three of them can leave, but for doing so, they have to destroy a seal, which is keeping the Untitled out of the city of the League of Assassins. Corey totally refuses to work with them. And she actually takes off because Roy insists that he's going to go get Jason no matter what. So she flies away and leaves him there to his own. Then we cut back to Jason again, and Bronze Tiger has reverted back to his human form and tells Jason the shocking news that the reason why they brought him there isn't to harm him, but he is going to be the leader of the League of Shadows. Next issue, Homicidal Homecoming. I got a couple things on this one. Some interesting developments here. But first of all, what did you? We, we've been hinting at Hugo Strange for a while. What did you think of his of his involvement issue? Did you like the way he was used as a character? No. And I think the thing is, it, it, one thing, like, originally when Hugo Strange was introduced in this book, it was that he used to be the psychiatrist for Roy Harper back in the day. Not now, not while he's a hero, and not knowing the secrets that Roy would have. The fact that Roy is sitting on his couch in his, basically, his Red Arrow outfit. Obviously, he doesn't have a mask on, but he's basically in the Red Arrow outfit with, you know, cut flannel over it. That leads me to believe, okay, now Hugo Strange knows who Roy Harper is. The fact that he's divulging these secrets about Jason and telling him about Jason, like, this is only going to lead to bad things. Like, I don't really care if Roy wants to believe that he's such a good character. I don't think that he should be telling anybody about some of these secrets. Now, I didn't pay close enough attention to see that if, whether or not he said, oh, Jason got his memories wiped or blah, 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 or if he just was referring to him as his friend. But at the same point, it just, it just seems way too odd for him to have a psychiatrist that he's divulging all these secrets to. Not to mention the fact that they show that, you know, he betrayed them, or at least Essence says that he betrayed them. You know, it just shows that, well, this was probably not a good idea. Why did you go back to this guy in the first place? You know, he may have helped you out back in the day, but realistically, what did he really do for you that, I guess, I, I don't know, maybe Roy Harper just has this this need to be helped by villains. Killer Croc, Hugo Strange, I don't know, I'm starting to see a trend. Yeah, yeah, his judgment is, is poor. He, he does mention in the book that Jason has lost his memories, and you know, like you said, there's no doubt he knows who he is. At this point, Starfire is in the waiting room. I mean, there's an alien in the waiting room that glows, essentially. The problem I see with this, too, is, is something you, you touched on is he's telling them all about Jason, that he's, you know, was Robin, yada, yada, yada. I just, is reeks of carelessness to me. And, and Hugo himself is kind of, I, I don't even like the portrayal of Hugo, because when the Untitled shows up, he kind of, like, freaks out like a girl and screams and runs away. So, I, I don't know. The, the character doesn't feel quite quite right to me there at all now do you think that this is in character for starfire by the way that she would really leave roy and to his own to go get jason or do you think there's something else going on there i think there's something else going on i think ultimately she wants to know what essence knows because she believes that essence knows something that would actually help them be better equipped 
for the fight that they could come into regardless of what side they're fighting on. And I think the, the problem is that she's too focused on that. Roy is just completely, I mean, besides the fact that he's divulging all these secrets and he's being extremely careless, he's just too focused on the idea that he has to get Jason back. It doesn't matter that Jason wants to be left alone. It doesn't matter that Jason doesn't even remember who he is. He's convinced that he has this, he is the one person who can fix Jason, which, I mean, I don't know what the deal is with that, but I think. I think that Starfire, her intent is she's trying to think more about what's going on. And she's looking at it from the perspective of maybe I should understand what I'm getting into before we decide to pick a side. Yeah, Roy does come across here as the needy ex-girlfriend a bit or the needy ex-boyfriend, depending on your, you know, the way you roll. But I mean, it's like Jason wants, dude, leave him alone. Go, I mean, go away. And he just keeps coming. But yeah, I think that Starfire here is. You know she's going to show back up. I mean, that's just a given because of the, of, the, of the title. But I think she's as concerned about Jason, but she just doesn't think dealing with the untitled is the way to go. Which brings me to my next point, which is I thought the untitled were kind of gone, and now they're back. Am I confused about this, or did I just miss something? I think you're confusing the untitled with the... Uh, the all-cast? The all-cast. Because I think that the all cast were the ones who were like, we're all gone. I have no idea. The problem is, like, everybody has these odd names. They all have similar powers. It really doesn't make a lot of sense. I, I honestly thought when Tinian took over the book that they were going to focus on a lot more down-to-earth stuff, less about the mythological stuff, about the people in the Himalayas or these gods that can emerge from smoke or... I mean, to an extent, the League of Shadows, just because even the League of Shadows is being portrayed as people who have these otherworldly power, not otherworldly powers, but like just superpowers. You know, the fact that Bronze Tiger has the ability to just be a normal man who has this essence around him that, you know, perceives him as a tiger or the, the fact that Cheshire can teleport and stuff like that. Like, they're not normal powers. Basically, they've made the League of Assassins the X-Men. Yeah. And that's what they're doing. And like, leave us, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, all of these groups, they all have like these way higher power sets than Roy and Jason would ever be able to deal with. Yes, Corey can handle probably more than Jason and, and Roy, but at the same point, like, two people who one has guns and one has a bow and arrow, and then the other person who has otherworldly abilities is not going to be a really good match for what all of these teams that they keep coming across. Yeah, I agree with you. I God, I really was hoping Tenyon was just going to cut that stuff off like an amputation and move on, but he didn't. So now we're still dealing with the night game to tell half the people apart. Then the other thing here that kind of the more interesting thought in the book was, do you really think that the league wants to make Jason their leader or is there something else going on there too? I think that the league does want to make them their leader if it is shown that Talia Ghoul's Gonzo is no if Talia Ghoul is like the the head of the League of Assassins right now and not Razel Ghoul. I don't think Razel Ghoul would ever want to have Jason Todd as the leader of the League of Assassins. On the other hand, based off of what we've seen with the history between Talia and Jason, I think that she would think that that would work just fine because. You know, ultimately, they wanted Batman to head up the League of Assassins. Batman never wanted that role. They tried to have a kid. 
to be the, the the head of the League of Assassins, that backfired on them too. So, you know, it just reverts back to the same reason. And th- this is this is only this is only on my thoughts of whether or not some of the stuff that happened previously to the New Fifty Two, such as the Red Hood, the Lost Days miniseries that occurred, which basically had Talia helping Jason get back to normal after he was in the Lazarus Pit, and like helping him get over his, I guess, anger of Batman, but at the same time, like, festering his anger, too, so that he wouldn't want to be with Batman, he wouldn't want to work with Batman, and we also know that from that series that she slept with him, too, so I think that it's entirely possible that she could look at Jason and say, hey, I actually could see this guy being the League of Assassins because he was trained by Batman. He's on the side of evil more so than Batman, where he's not necessarily evil, but he has that those thoughts that, like, there are certain things that you have to do in order to make sure that good can overcome. And I think that's the same mentality that the Al Ghouls have, is they look at things and they say, okay, how can we make the world a better place? Well, we have to eliminate the city that is, you know, crap and is, is, is you know, ruining the world. And that's what they do. So I think that Jason is a perfect match for that aspect, if it is Tal Al Ghul who's in charge of the Al Ghouls right now. Yeah, and... <sighs> I think it does make sense. And more than that, I kind of hope he does because I think it might, I think they need to suss out his memory thing, but I think if he becomes the head of the league, I think that that might give this book a direction. I think it'd be very interesting to see Jason as the head of the league, kind of doing that balancing act between good and evil, you know, how far they willing to go. I think it would put the character in some very unique situations and I really hope that at the end of the day, that's where that's where we end up in this book. Because I think that would be a very, I think that would be a very interesting book with Jason as the head of the league. All right. So Red Hood and the Outlaws, number twenty-one. I'm going to give a total of two and a half out of five better. Uh, Red Hood and the Outlaws, number twenty-one. I'm going to give a total of three out of five better. All right. So that's going to give Red Hood and the Outlaws a total of two and a half out of five betterings. That is all of our books. As far as the listener Q and A's, we don't have any listener Q and A's. So. Now is when we implore you, as the listeners, to make sure to comment on these episodes that we're releasing, these .5 episodes, because if you are not commenting, then we would be under the assumption that you are not enjoying these, and if you're not enjoying them, then we have no need to continue to do them. So, please comment on these episodes so that we can talk about some of these issues and some of the events that are happening in some of these books since there is a number of books that we're obviously covering month to month. So, with that, that is everything for this episode. It's quite a short one. So, you can head over to the website for all the news related to movies, merchandise, video games, TV, and of course the comics as well. You can check out all the other podcasts that we have to offer. I already mentioned the Aftercast, but we also have Rank the Batgirls, the next segment of Rank the Batman that is also posted in the past month. Obviously, you can check out new Normal Cast, new Comic Cast, new Bat Fans, Batgirl Oracle, Taking Flight, all kinds of stuff for you guys to check out over on the website. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest news and videos from the Batman universe. You can also join our Facebook group to talk with other Bat fans about everything related to the Batman universe, and in some cases, some things that aren't related to the Batman universe. And you can email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. Or leave your comments in the podcast post below the actual article. 
With that, that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Ed. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast Point Five. We'll see you guys next month. See you.